You are listening to ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. Ochi Chornia, Dark Eyes. It's an old Russian gypsy song. And today we're talking about Russian eyes, not dark ones, but diseased ones, and one physician's journey to help heal them. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, your host, and with us today is Dr. Bruce Goldstick, an ophthalmologist in private practice in the Chicago area. Bruce not only has a successful practice here, but was part of a mission to bring his and other ophthalmological talents to Kiev to the Kiev Vision Project. Welcome, Bruce. Thanks, Michael. Why Kiev? About a year ago, I had received a phone call from the Jewish Federation of Chicago asking whether I would be interested in helping set up an eye clinic in Kiev. The Chicago Federation has a relationship with its sister city, Kiev, in the Ukraine, and does a number of projects with its sister city. The Federation had wanted to create a health project that was going to have a large impact for the elderly population in Kiev. And there are currently at least 100,000 elderly Jewish people living in Kiev. And they thought that providing eye care would provide a good bang for the buck. Do these people not get care through the Russian health care system? They do get care through the Russian health care system, which is an interesting system. There is a definite have and have not two-party system where the 1% very wealthy people can get good private health care, whereas the vast majority of people get a different kind of health care. So maybe Michael Moore should have gone to Russia, too, to look at that system for his movie, right? He would get a better idea about what socialized medicine really is. But I won't editorialize for now. So a donor had given a large amount of money, $85,000, to equip a eye clinic in a public hospital in Kiev, as it happens, hospital number two. And there is an infrastructure in place with the Jewish Federation in Kiev, both the Joint Distribution Committee and the Jewish Agency, who take care of a lot of elderly patients but wanted to provide the access for eye care. Now, did the Russian bureaucracy get involved in this, or was this— Before I got involved with the project, there was certain negotiations in terms of what hospital to put the equipment in, how access was going to be provided for— in this public hospital for the Jewish patients. Was this only for Jewish patients? No. this was. I think you need to say that. The Federation very often, it doesn't do things just for, for one religion. Right. The thing that was most impressive was this was placed in a public hospital. Their goal was to guarantee access for the elderly Jewish patients, not exclusively, but partially. So this was going to be used for the Kiev population as a whole, as well as the elderly Jewish patients. And that was that was a cool part of the project. But when initially negotiating which hospital to do this in, the first hospital that they had approached had some anti-Semitic overtones. And there was some question in terms of whether they were going to accept the Jewish patients in their hospital. And it was only after negotiating with the second hospital that they decided to put the equipment there. And our goal when we went there was to help educate the Ukrainian ophthalmologists who were practicing 1940s ophthalmology in many cases to learn how to use this updated equipment. Did they have any new equipment there at all? They had slit lamps probably from the 1950s. 
They had direct ophthalmoscopes from the 1940s. They were checking intraocular pressure from things that I've never even seen even before my residency. They were kids in a candy shop when they had received this state-of-the-art equipment. We provided slit lamps, indirect ophthalmoscopes, a YAG laser, visual field monitoring, and surgical equipment. All of this for $85,000? Yes. This was provided by an American as well as an Israeli ophthalmic equipment supplier. And I was joined by one other ophthalmologist from Chicago, a ophthalmologist who was head of Jewish Healthcare International from Atlanta, and then another ophthalmologist from Israel, whose office, interestingly enough, was bombed a week before. Were you going to teach the ophthalmologist to use the equipment or actually run the clinic? We were going basically to teach them how to use the equipment. We ended up making some house visits to patients who needed some visual diagnosis, then saw patients with them in the clinic and taught them how to use the equipment. Okay. You are listening to ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, your host, and with us today is Dr. Bruce Goldstick, an ophthalmologist in the Chicago area, talking about his mission to bring ophthalmological care to a clinic in Kiev. So you went there. Did you pay your own way? I did not. The Federation had asked me to give a week of my time, and they were generous enough to provide my air for and my food and and housing. Tell us about what happened when you got there. First of all, it was culture shock. I had never been to the Soviet Union or any former Soviet Union countries. I did not know what to expect. When I first got there, my usual acclimation is to check into my hotel and then kind of get an idea about what's going on around my hotel look at the people, get a flavor for what's going on. And it was atypically 90 degrees in Kiev in the middle of May. And it was oppressively hot. There was not much air conditioning. The air conditioning that would work would not be very effective. First day, I acclimated myself. The second day, I ended up going to the clinic and seeing what kind of equipment was there. Made sure that all the equipment was working properly. Did the Ukrainian doctors all speak English? None. So you had a translator? There were three or four translators that were with us at all times. There was someone from the hospital. There was someone from the Jewish agency. There was someone from the Joint Distribution Committee who always accompanied us in order to respond to both the physicians and the patients that were coming in. So the infrastructure there was wonderful. The people there knew the system very well had established the relationships with the doctors, and were very organized. Tell us about the challenges that you met, because this was a de novo project. This didn't exist. You weren't plugging into something that was already there. You were creating this. We were creating this. There's a whole number of different challenges. Number one, it's very difficult to teach a person how to use a piece of equipment like a slit lamp in a day or two. So we wanted to have as many patients as possible come to the clinic and teach them how to use that. Number two, We wanted to create some kind of continuity. Now, I want to backtrack for a second because there was a scene that reminded me of one of the challenges in this small examining room were two translators, two ophthalmologists, a patient, her mother, and two other people from the agency cramped into probably an eight-by-eight room. And the level of noise... (laughs) that was there when trying to examine a patient and all the commotion that was going on was one of those challenging kinds of episodes. There is a whole variety of things that need to be done. For example, once we have taught them the initial use of that, 
we want to have them to continue to know how to use that. So we want to provide some kind of continuity of care. And we have arranged with an Israeli volunteer physician group to come and man the clinic for several visits. The head of the Ukrainian Department of Ophthalmology was also interested in this, and he said that he would help personally supervise some of these ophthalmologists or even send in a younger kind of ophthalmologist who was more familiar with the equipment and help reinforce some of the things that they were learned. In addition to that, we want to be able to provide access, continued access for the patients. How do we provide screening to determine which patients are going to be good candidates for access for this care? How do we provide follow-up once the patients are there? What kind of surgical skills are going to be necessary to be taught to provide cataract surgery or glaucoma surgery or laser kinds of surgery for these patients. Well, wait, you, you have all this equipment you've sent there, and this is interfacing now still with this 1940, 1950-style technology in the rest of the hospital. How does that work? Michael, I think that's a very interesting question. How does it interface with other type of medicine that is being provided for at the hospital? I think one of the reasons why ophthalmology was chosen is because it can work in isolation from the other medical technologies or lack thereof that are provided for at a hospital. And just by providing the technology and the ability to diagnose, treat, and examine patients' eyes, you can have a dramatic impact just by providing the most modern equipment. So let me ask you a question. Are you going to go back? Yeah, I am going to go back. I got a really warm feeling about giving back, about being able to provide a service that will help the Ukrainian ophthalmologists help other people. It's kind of like the gift that keeps on giving. And some of my roots came from the Ukraine, and some of my family were from that particular region. And to see that I can give back to my roots meant a lot to me. I want to thank Dr. Bruce Goldstick, who has been with us today, sharing the Kiev Vision Project with us. Hopefully, it'll inspire more of us to eliminate national borders and make this one world of healthier people. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on Reach MDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. Reach MDXM is here for you, doctors who care for patients. Tell us what you want and what you need. Send your email to xm at reachmd.com, and we thank you for listening.